we magnify and we glorify your precious name. Thanking you again for another day that you have given unto us, Lord God. A day, Lord God, that you have value in as it pertains to each and every one of our lives. Lord, it's something that you want to get out of our lives today. And obviously we know on this morning that that started with the true praise and worship. That a, a, a praise and a worship unto you, Lord God, that is done in spirit and in truth, Lord God. And I pray right now that each and every one of us have opened ourselves and yield ourselves to just that, Lord God. That we may be pleasing in your sight. So, Father, right now as you speak to our hearts, Lord God, let he that has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying unto us, the church, on this morning, Lord God. Because there is an urgency in that which you want to speak to us, Lord God. And, and I pray that we get it. That we get it, Lord God. That we, and in getting it, that we don't continue to be the same, Lord God. But by your Spirit, that the change and the rearrangement, Lord God, in the things that you are ministering to us, that it takes root in our lives, Lord God, that it makes a difference, that it, that it moves us along the journey, Lord God, the path that you have orchestrated and set before us. And all in all, Lord God, that as we continue our journey, Lord God, that in this race, Lord God, that we run it in such a way that is the same heart that Jesus had when he was here, that, that we do that which is pleasing unto you, God the Father. So speak to our hearts. Let us hear what you are saying, Lord God, and let us consume what you are saying. Let it take root. Let it change us. Let it rearrange us that we may never be the same. And all in agreement with that, say amen, amen, and amen. Glory be to God. Wow, if you will open your Bibles up this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and, and God wants to uh, speak to us this morning. In, um, and I have to start by saying this, as God has said it unto me, that that which he wants to encourage us with uh, on today is not for us to be in any kind of fear whatsoever, but it is an, an encouragement. And if you ain't careful, uh, or if we ain't careful as we start out, then we can start out from a place of fear on this morning for that which he wants to speak to us because it's not uh, probably a common uh, word that many want to focus on. And certainly not a common word that many even want to hear. But our text verse, we're just going to creep into this and we're going to allow him to navigate us through it. The text verse on this morning would be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse, starting in verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in verse 9, and it reads like this, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present 
or absent to be well pleasing to him. And then in verse 10, and this is what, what this is all about. For we must all, somebody say all, appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may receive the things that we've done according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I'm going to read that verse 10 again. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give or receive, excuse me, the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And let me start by saying this first and foremost. Many looking at this scripture may think that this is talking to everybody when he say all that must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But let me put this in context for our understanding. So more than uh, a message, a uh, preaching message today, we, this is like Bible study more than anything because God wants us to learn some stuff and understand some things. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, if you read through the context, he is talking to those that have received Christ Jesus and have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So this is not talking to all people. So when he makes reference to all of us that he's talking to is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, then he's talking to believers and believers only. Because some of you Bible students already know that the judgment seat of Christ, there's only, the only believers will stand before that. And let me uh, start, let me just lay the foundation because I just don't want to assume that everybody understands that. So hear this. There's a, you know, a seat called the judgment seat. And, and in the, the Greek, that judgment seat was, uh, you know, going all the way back, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a reference to the, what the Greek word called bima. And some of you heard of this, the bima seat. And the bima seat is, uh, the word bima is a reference to a throne. It's, it's, it's almost like if you picture, I'll take in modern day times, you know, when a person goes into the courtroom, you'll notice that the judge is sitting up higher than though than the people. Okay. And see, and this, this ain't something that just ha this happened in the modern day times. This goes back all the way to the beginning of times. And it's referred to as the Bema. The Bema is, is the seat that's, that's set above. And, and here's the thing that God, I want you to understand this, that God is not a judge, but he is the judge. Come on, somebody. And as creator of the earth and, and all of its inhabitants, he alone has the prerogative, come on, somebody, to pass judgment on both of them, both the earth and the inhabitants of the earth. And you know who the inhabitants of the earth is? I, I trust that is you and me. God has exercised his prerogative uh, in judgment, we can see throughout the history of time, he's exercised his prerogative for judgment over and over again. We see it in the worldwide flood uh, that destroyed the earth and all of its inhabitants except Noah and his family. Come on, somebody. 
and we also seen it in the judgment of the, the pride of the people that was building the Tower of Babylon. Some of y'all may remember that, that God's judged them. And, and we also see it in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. See, God, the great God, the creator of all things, he has the prerogative, and it is his prerogative to bring forth judgment as he wills. Come on, somebody. The Bible warns individuals that uh, they have, uh, have only one chance to be reconciled to God before we face judgment. The Bible warns us as individuals that you have only one chance. You can see why I said that this may not be a popular message because it ain't something that people always want to talk about. But just bear with me because God, there is a word of encouragement in this. We have one chance to be reconciled to God before we face judgment. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and as it is appointed to man to die once, but after that, then the judgment. See, the New Testament describes uh, this uh, describes this major future judgment in three different ways. The New Testament uh, describes it uh, or, or talks about judgment. The first uh, type of judgment that it talks about, and is mentioned here in, uh, in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's also referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to go there in a minute. But the first judgment that the Bible, uh, the New Testament speaks of is the judgment seat of Christ. The second uh uh, one that the New Testament uh, speaks of, and many of you may or may not have heard of this, is called the, uh, the judgment of the nations. Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 25 as he was addressing the people, that there's going to be a judgment of the nations. These are future judgments we're talking about. And finally, some of you have heard of this one. Uh, the third uh, mention in the New Testament of a future judgment is called the great white throne judgment and today we're not going to talk about uh, or focus on our focus today is not on the, the the judgment of the nations it's not on the judgment uh, or the great white throne judgment and these are intriguing inf information and we will study this and talk about this in Revelations chapter 20 at some point because it's worth us understanding in much more detail but today our the focus is the judgment seat of Christ. And then if we have to title the message today, then I guess we will title it just that, the judgment seat of Christ. The time of the judgment seat of Christ occurs uh, following the rapture while the church is with Christ in heaven doing uh, the seven-year tribulation on earth. I'm going to say that again. Somebody missed that. The time of, uh, of the judgment seat of Christ. When you and me as believers, if you are a believer, the time that you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be the same time as the great white throne judgment, which is a judgment for non-believers. It's not going to even be the same time as of the judgment of the nations, uh, which we'll talk about that, like I said, at some later time. But the judgment, the first judgment that actually happens is the judgment seat of Christ. And that's for us as believers. And this happens at the time after the rapture and after the seven-year tribulation. Hallelujah. 
Ain't that good news? <laughs> Come on, somebody. I don't know if you, uh, if you understand it, but this is good news, that the judgment seat of Christ occurs following the rapture while the church is with Christ in heaven and is doing the seven-year tribulation on earth. We ain't going to be here for the seven-year tribulation, and I'm not going to get into uh, a contest with nobody today as to whether you are pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib. But the Bible, according to the Bible, that the church is going to be raptured out of here uh, at the, before the time of the tribulation. And that we, during this period of time, somewhere during this period of time, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today. If you are a believer, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And here again, going back to our text, it says now that we understand that, let's read the text again because now it's going to really speak to us. In verse 10, again, it says, uh, well, first of all, let's go back to verse 9. It says, therefore, we make it our aim whether present or absent, meaning whether dead or alive, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's speaking to a specific group of us. That, somebody say that because here's the point. That what? Why are we going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? It's only for one reason. It's not going to be to see if you get into heaven or not. Because if you was standing to, uh, if, if you are at the judgment seat of Christ, all that's standing at the judgment seat of Christ are already in. So why do we, if we're already in, we've been sealed for the day of redemption as we've given our hearts to, to the Lord and we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as we have accepted the plan of salvation according to God's word in his scripture, and that, he, that Jesus is the one who, who him, whom he sent in there, and if we receive that in our heart, and, and then guess what? Then God has washed us in the blood of the Lamb. Somebody, somebody understand this. This is what God does. We don't save ourselves. We, we believe that God saves us. This is what born again uh, means, the reference to being born again in John chapter 3. In there is that a man must be born again, and to be born again, and it's not that you birth yourself, but God births you when you put your faith and your trust in the, the, the plan of salvation as he's described it. Not you come up with a plan of salvation, but when we accept God's plan. Somebody say accept God's plan. See, now that we've accepted God's plan, then this is the good news is that God does something. And what he does is he washes you in the blood of the Lamb. He redeems you. He makes a reservation for you in eternity. He gives you eternal life. Plain and simple. This is, there's, there's a point to, to why I'm reiterating that. Because the thing that we got to understand and, and we cannot be tripped up by is that once we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, once God does this, that the work that we do is to earn our salvation. Well, that don't even make sense. If God already given me salvation based on the confession of my faith, then how can I earn it? I'm glad you asked because you can't. You cannot earn 
salvation. Salvation has never been based on one's work, the merit of one's work or effort. And this is huge because many of us now that we believe and we go through some things and we fall down and have to get back up, that many of us have, have under some kind of uh, notion as though we lost our salvation because we messed up. If it was based on me and you and, our, and my relationship with you, you're right. To be in a relationship with me, when you mess up, then I'm going to kick you out. But glory be to God, I ain't your redeemer, hallelujah. And you ain't mine. Because God is faithful is what the book of Romans says, that he is faithful in what he does, then he puts a seal on it so it ain't based on what you've done or, or what you continue to do or how you continue to earn that which he's given us. See, we, when we give somebody something, we tell them now, now you got to earn it, which I don't understand that when you really think about it. But this ain't the God that we serve. He, 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 he accomplished that in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And that's why he has a particular way that a man can be redeemed and come unto him. So there's many that think that they can come unto the Lord in many different ways and fashions. But if we understand, then we can understand now, we can understand why God has a certain way. Because when he seals you for the day of redemption, he's not changing his mind based on your works or your merit. Because he based it on the finished work of Christ Jesus. So you can't be good enough to earn salvation. But thank God he loves you enough that he gave you salvation. And I say that because it points right to what God wants to speak to us on today. So then why are we standing before the judgment? We are standing before the judgment for just what it says, that each one may, get, may receive the thing done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What we're going to be standing before him for is we're going to give an account of what that which we've done in the body. The work that we've done now that we are believers. So we don't work to become believers. We work because we are believers. This is why Jesus encouraged, and, and, and this is the urgency that is placed in the body of Christ right now, that we must work while it's still day. Not work to earn your salvation, but work for the kingdom of God because we have salvation. And it's high time for some of us to understand that. Because some of us ain't doing no work. And the only thing that you're going to stand before Christ and give an account for is what work did you do? And for some of us, we ain't going to have nothing to show. Understand this. When Christ evaluates what believers have constructed with their life, it will survive it will either survive through the fire and come out on the other side as silver, gold, or precious stones, or it will be consumed by the fire because it was built with wood, hay, and straw. And this is an examination of your works. Somebody don't understand exactly what I'm saying, so go to... First Corinthians, chapter three, verse 12. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. And as you get there, let me uh, give you some insight to something. Although works will never justify anyone, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is, is in view of the fact that the mercy of God is still the, uh, the, excuse me, the merciful God is still the holy judge. And at the judgment seat of Christ, he will bring to light what every believer has done. This is not a judgment or uh, this is not to judge the believer. The believer stands justified as a result of the work of Christ. This judgment is of the deed, not the doer. To determine the size or the extent of the reward based on the good works for, that each and every one of us have done. So I don't know about you and what you've heard and, and what we may have been led to believe even as kids. You all, we all knew that, that, that after all of this that we, you know, we, we gonna stand before the judgment. And some of us think that we gonna stand before them with our knees knocking to see if we gonna get in. That's not the judgment, that, it ain't no such judgment my friend. Because those that stand at, uh, at the judgment, the great white throne judgment is a judgment for non-believers and they knees ain't going to be knocking to see if they going to get in. They, gonna, they knees are going to be knocking because they know they ain't going in now. They going to see him for who he is and all things are going to come to light. And immediately they going to know that, uh, oh man, what, uh, what, what I heard is true. And they going to immediately know that I, I am not going in. And that judgment is a whole other thing that we can talk about. But today the focus is, is, is for us to be enlightened that you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to be in. But the thing about it is, is how are you going to be in? Are you going to be in standing before him with the, in, your, in your works as they examined by God? Are they going to go, are they going to be that they're going to make it through the fire. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's start at verse 9. Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 5, and we're going to just read the whole thing to get the context here. 1 Corinthians 3, 5, it says, when who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? but ministers through whom we believed as the Lord gave to each one. One planet, oh, excuse me, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. That's you and me, my friend. That's what we stand in before the, the judgment seat of Christ. And see, this ain't just uh, so, so understand this, that you will be standing before him to receive, uh, and each one of us will receive our own reward according to our own labor. 
So this ain't just for Paul and Apollos. This ain't just for Pastor John and, and Bishop so-and-so. This is for you and every one of us as believers. This is the reason why it's important the, uh, and the urgency is being placed in the body of Christ. If you have an ear to hear that we have a responsibility to the work to be used as vessels for the work of the kingdom. And it don't matter uh, uh, what title you have. Because when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, then it ain't no titles ain't going to matter. It ain't going to be no titles uh, uh, up on the board or in the book. The only thing that's going to be in there is a record of you, your name, and what you've done. And the motivation in which you did it. Oh yeah, we're getting to where the rubber meets the road, my friends. We're just creeping right along, but understand this. Look at verse 9, it says, For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. You, uh, you are God's building according to the grace of God which was given me as a wise master builder I have laid the foundation and another built on it but let each one take heed how he builds on it that's the point my friend let each one of us take heed on how we build on it for no one no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is already laid which is who Jesus Christ now now somebody say now now, if anyone, and it's speaking to you and me directly now, builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. And the day here is a reference to the day that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The day of the judge, at the judgment seat of Christ, every one of our works is going to be, become clear. Every one of our works is going to become clear when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So here you can clearly see, my friend, that this is a reference to the same thing that 2 Corinthians is talking about. The judgment seat of Christ standing before him. So yes, he says that you, uh, when you stand before him, you're, you're, you're on the day that is declared, which is the day that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that your works is going to go through the fire, my friend. And they're going to become very clear. And your works here again, because your works is not what gives you salvation, if your works is burned up, you will still be saved in your salvation. It's because that's based on the finished work of Christ Jesus. So you can see here he's not talking to those that will stand before the, the great white throne judgment or a non-believer. He's talking to those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So why is God speaking all of this to us? So thank you for giving us that information. Well, he's giving us that information because it is important, my friends, 
And as Revelation chapter 4 speaks of it, that it seems that we're, not only are we going to receive rewards if, if, our, if our works don't burn up, but these rewards that we receive or the crowns that we get, the uh, Revelation chapter 4 makes a reference to that on the throne, when Jesus is sitting on the Bema seat, that we're going to come to the altar and we're going to have an opportunity to give our crowns or our rewards and place them at his feet. And for some of us, it ain't, uh, you know, we, and this is what God needs to put on your heart today. Is it good enough just for you to get in and all your works, and you have no works to show for it? Which means that you have nothing to put at the feet of Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. And that may not mean a whole lot to you now, but I can assure you that when you see Jesus for who he is, it's going to mean everything. It's going to mean everything. You're going to know for sure that your time here on earth was not then just about yourself. Matter of fact, you're going to know that it wasn't about yourself at all, my friends. That the time that, you, that God left you here, that it was about him using you once you've been redeemed. That, he, that it wasn't about all of the cares of life that consumed you. It wasn't about the American dream that you was trying to pursue so much. It wasn't about the education that you put before Jesus Christ and Lord, him being Lord of your life. You're going to know it. And see, right now, we could just have hopes and, thinks of, of, and think of it. But I'm telling you, my friends, when we stand before him, the Bible says that we will see him for who he is. And when you see him for who he is, we're going to know him for who he is. And the only thing that's going to matter at that point even before your name get called to step up to the throne, you're you going you gonna to already know it because you're going to be in the presence of God. And the, and the only thing you're going to start remembering and thinking about is man. You're going to begin to immediately think about your works, not the works to, to, to earn you salvation. You're going to know that it was your works that's, gonna, that, that's the only thing that means something today and for the rest of the time. You're going to know that it's only, man, what did I do for him? This is Jesus. This is God Almighty. And you're going to reflect immediately on your time. Did I do anything for him? And so here's the point. <clears throat> and this is real key for us to understand. That Paul, when he explained the day, will declare it, the validity of each person's work. This is not the great white throne judgment again. Where God will condemn unbelievers. This is not what it is. It is the judgment seat of Christ that was de that's described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we talked about it. We believe, where, excuse me, where believers will be evaluated. Test each one's work means that God will see his children as they really are. And all of their motivations, hear me, desires and reasons for Serving him. That day, God is going to see you, and more importantly, you're going to see you for who you are. He's going to reveal it. And what is he going to reveal? He's going to reveal all of your motivations, desires, and reasons for serving him. So even our service, my friend, we better be careful. 
because we're doing some things. Even So this ain't a message of just about the, some, the things that you do. This is a message about the things you do, but a checking of your heart and what heart are you doing it? Here, what thus saith the Lord. This is serious. And so this ain't, this, and, 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 and matter of fact, it, this probably weighs more deeply to those of us that's been in the church for 30 years or 20 years and been doing all of this stuff. You better check your heart, my friend. Because if you don't check it now, it's going to be revealed then. And when it's revealed then, it's going to go through the fire. And the Bible says you will suffer loss. And the loss that he's talking about is what? Your rewards and your crowns. And don't misunderstand this. Uh, I, I'm really careful even talking about rewards or, or crowns from this place because we natural still. Our motivations for doing service ain't to, to do no crown. The only way that we can really, and this is the point, because many of us didn't heard this before that, man, there, there's some rewards and crowns up there. And I want to have mine. Yo, that's still, that's, that's a, a worldly ghetto mentality. No, because the only way that you, that, that, that we can really think about this is we have to know Jesus for who he is and what he's done. And God himself, this is born out of the, we got to know that God loves us more than anything. That's where the truth, uh, this is where silver, uh, gold, silver, and precious stones, this is the construction in which one works out of true silver, gold, and precious stones. It's from a motivation of the heart of knowing who God is and knowing that he loves you because that will cause you to do some work. And that work that it calls you ain't going to be centered around no selfish ambition. Because do you realize that we can fool our own self as to why we serve in the Lord? And not only can, we do. And believe me, my friends, this is too important for you to take a chance on, the mo and on your motivations. Yo, when, when, when the final exam comes. No, you're going to need to know this before for then, my friends, so you have the opportunity to check yourself now. And the checking yourself now is, do you know the how God loves you? And, is, and, is, and, 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 and the writer John also wrote that, you know, we love you because you first loved us. See, the only way that we can really love God is that you have to know that he first loved you, my friends. You don't have no propensity to love a, a God, the Father, and the creator of all things just because you heard of him. No, the only way that we can love him is we have to know that he loved us first. So the focus here is that you got to know uh, who loves you, my friend. And there's many believers that go through this lifetime and never know the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. What they know is I don't want to go to hell. They know a punished sin is going to be punished. So I need the forgiveness of sin. So more than knowing the love of God, they trying to evade a, 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 what, a hell fire. And hell fire is real, my friends. Don't misunderstand me. So and, and, and then we'll even go as far as to, you know, to think that that's good enough. You know, 
to just, uh, yo, if, so if you can't do nothing else, you just don't want to go to hell. So we'll even preach a watered-down message that, that about hell more than about the love of Christ Jesus and the finished work. We begin to preach a gospel that is uh, to, to, to about what hell is more than the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That Jesus Christ and him crucified, it only points to the love and it will draw you into a love place. That that is the real relationship and that's the only way you're going to know him. And so we wonder why the body is so weak sometimes or you know, and all of this different stuff because many of us is living a life based on trying to escape hell and have no idea who loves us. You will suffer loss. But it says here that you yourself or but he himself will be saved yet so through the fire. So we're going through the fire. Our works is going to go through the fire, my friend. See, wood, hay, and straw is perishable. Gold, silver, and precious stones are permanent. And the permanency of gold, silver, and precious stone is only, can only be accomplished one way. And that is through a true Understanding in a true relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. Understand this. And this ain't just really off the subject, but understand that there, the Bible speaks of, there, uh, uh, or at least the New Testament, of the different types of crowns. There's an imperishable crown, the first Corinthians. Chapter 9 speaks of. There's a crown of righteousness that 2 Timothy chapter 4 speaks of. There's a crown of life that James chapter 1 speaks of. And there's a crown of glory that 1 Peter speaks of. Come on, somebody. And Christ even warns the church of Philadelphia in, in, in Revelations to remain strong and faithful that no one may take your crown. There is reasons to believe that those crowns will be ultimately, and this is what I was referring to earlier, will be returned to Christ as a way of honoring his glory and his power. Come on, somebody. And our motivation for the working and doing the work has to be from a place that is going of, of, how can I say it again? Precious stones, gold and silver. And you cannot no longer stay where you at, my friends. So this is what God is compelling us. And it's not for us to fear by no means because he wants you to understand that if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you have a reservation that God has made for you in eternity, then you don't have to, you, you, your soul won't be lost when it goes through the fire, when your works are tried through the fire. But you will suffer major loss because just as it is, uh, the Bible tells us and refers to the fact that in hell, and some of us know this, 
that there's different degrees of punishment for those who have rejected Jesus. The book of Luke talks about this. So it appears that there also are degrees of rewards for those who have served Christ faithfully. Come on, somebody. The most important aspect of the doctrine of rewards is that what we do in this life will impact the life beyond. Do not be deceived because God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap, my friend. The promise of reward tells us that in due season, we will reap if we faint not. And you have a charge that's set before each and every one of us this day to understand that our service for the Lord is, is for one reason and one reason only. It's born out of a love, an understanding of his love that causes us to, to have gratitude and honor for the king. It has nothing to do with us trying to escape fires of hell. Will it do that for us? Absolutely, it's going to allow us to escape the fires of hell. But this is about an honor. Glory be to God. And a true honor. And that is the only works that's going to pass through the fire as though it's gold, silver, or precious stones. Anything short of that, trust me, my friend, your works will be destroyed. So we can't depend on our good, uh, on what is good as our motivation for service. We can't even depend on a good, uh, a good thing. The only thing that we can depend on is not a good thing. We have to depend on a God thing. So what are you saying, Pastor John? What I'm saying is that you have to depend on what God is saying. And in order to know what God is saying, that you have to have a relationship that you can hear him by the Spirit. See, and that's what love for God does. It, see, when you fall in love with somebody, you develop a relationship. It causes a closeness, a drawing. You, you, know, you spend time with one another. And this is not written to the preacher man. This is written to each and every one of us as believers. So, my dear, you have a work that God has called to you to use your life for. And if you don't hear him and obey him, then your works is going to be burnt up in the fire. Thank God your soul ain't going to be lost. But your works will be burnt up. So you can hear this one of two ways. You can hear this with the ear that, man, that, that, that is satisfied with the fact that I won't be lost. Or you can hear this with a, a, a ear that, 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 that God is, is knocking on the door of your heart and saying that I need and I want to use your life. That you're with an understanding that your time that you have left here is about the kingdom of God and him being glorified and the building of the kingdom according to his plan. That just like he, he uh, drew you with his love, that he could use you as a vessel to show somebody else his love that they may be drawn by his love. And that there's nothing centered around oneself in this. And though in 2 Corinthians, I mean 1 Corinthians, that Paul doesn't use the word judgment seat. But we can see that he's clearly 
talking about the judgment seat. You can see that that's clearly what he had in mind. But Paul was addressing the division. See, while he was addressing division in the Corinthians churches, uh, cliques of believers were following different leaders. Each leader was important. Paul writes, but God provides the, re, uh, re, uh, the, the results, and each person will receive his own reward according to his own labor. But the primary criteria of the reward is whether the works was done in the name of Jesus for the building of the church. And that's speaking to you and me today. That our primary criteria for our rewards is whether the works we have done has it been in the name of Jesus. And not in this here reference to in the name of Jesus is not you putting it in the name of Jesus, but it's in the name of Jesus calling it out and you hearing his voice and you doing what it says, not your self-will. See, because when the day declares it, what it's going to declare is going to declare that which is your will. Opposed to that which is God's will. And again, this is the reason why this is so important that your work's going through the fire, that you can't uh, take it for granted because it's a good thing. You can't take it for granted because, you know, uh, the goodness of your own heart. <clears throat> Please, my friend, because the Bible says that our hearts are so wicked and deceitful that we can't even know our own hearts. So we cannot play with this. You can't take a chance. This is why we have to allow God to examine our hearts, my friend. And God is knocking on the door and he's compelling. This ain't, uh, has nothing to do with you going to hell. But this has everything to do with will you render your, the, your life the time, the rest of your stay here, the time of the rest of your stay here, will you render it to the work of the kingdom? Will we die to our flesh? Will we quit, quit, quit putting self in front of God's will? Are we willing to, to, to sacrifice the, the, through the cares of life and, 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 and the, the attacks of the enemy? You know, and, and the enemy, he attacks us. How do we attack us? Primarily through people. And quite often, that's people that, that's closest to you. Because if somebody don't know you and they call you out your name across the parking lot, then you don't worry about that. But let your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife call you out your name, uh, uh, then that's a problem. But we got to die to ourselves enough to, and, and keep our focus on the will of God and the work of the kingdom of God that will allow us to deny ourselves, as Jesus said, in order for us to follow him. The key in all of this, and we close it right here, is that we got to lose self. Because we've been built up, it's been built up within us that, all, that our time here, yes, while we get our reservation, that our time here, it's almost uh, the way it sounds is that, you know, we come here, we separated from God, we come to understand who he is, and we escape hell by accepting him, and then we go on to live the rest of our time for ourselves. Even with expectation, now that we are a child of God, so now I'm, I'm going to call myself a child now because I need something. 
but we continue to go on living for ourselves. And if you read further in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 right there where we are, if you go down to verse 15, it says it very clearly that he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So it's very clear that this, your time here now that you know that he died for all and you are included in that, that your life don't belong to you. The rest of your stay here, the rest of the time of your stay here is about the kingdom of God and it's for the usage of the kingdom of God and not what you can give him, but how he can use it. See, this is the part that I'm talking about. We, even then, knowing that we want to use our time, we want to give God our time. Instead of give, allowing him to use our time. Oh, it's a big difference. And what is the difference? The difference is, is, one, is who in control. See, that which I give to him, then I'm in control of that. But when I give my life over for him to use, then he's in control of that. And we're afraid of that because I don't know where, how he might use that. He may use too much. Or he may use it when I, I want to go over here, but then that's the time he want to use me. I, you know, I can't afford that. So let me go over here and then I'll give you this time, God. Which is this small, which is uh, off-peak hours. See, we don't give them no prime time. If it was in our hands. So you can see, no, this is why it can't be. And the works that is being judged is just that. Those that was done out of self-will, when you was giving God your time, it's going to get burnt up, my friend. Or a life that was yielded over to him for him to use your time, that's the one that is precious gold. Hallelujah. Silver and precious stone, glory be to God. That's the one that is going to come through the fire and it's going to have a reward on the end of it, my friend. Because that's the one that honors him and glorifies him. Today is your day to make a decision in your own heart. That God has given some understanding to each and every one of us. No, this ain't, again, he said, don't worry. He ain't talking about your salvation, so you ain't got to be afraid. But what you got to do is be tentative to hear what he's saying. I need your life. I've already paid it and bought it and paid for it. It's mine to have, but I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to take it. You have to give it. And today is your day, and it everything about our lives will change. You're talking about the, you know, the cares of life. We ain't going to have no cares of life. Don't mean that things ain't going to happen, but we ain't got to care about the cares of life. We ain't got to be concerned about the cares of life because then what we'll understand is just what Jesus said from the beginning of his ministry in Matthew, that uh, birds, the, uh, you know, the lilies of the field, the birds are there. They neither toil nor they spin. But yet I take care of them. See, what he's saying is they don't work. But they eat good every day. The lilies is clothed in, in, in sweet array every day. It's got the best stuff on Lily dressed up like Gucci and Versace and all of that. 
ain't worked a day in his life. God says, this is how I do it. My, we don't have to be consumed with the cares of life when we give our life. He says, I got that. You don't have to worry about whether you, where you live, what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep. He says, just give yourself to me and let me do it and watch me. Because what I have in store for you is more than what you can even imagine yourself. You can't even begin to ask me for what I got in store for you because it, 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 you, it, you can't comprehend it. And that ain't just in eternity. That's even right now. And the reference ain't all just to material things because, see, when we give our lives to God, then the things that we'll, we'll begin to understand spiritual things. And we'll understand that peace, like a river, is more important than a few dollars. We'll understand that joy is, is worth a billion dollars. And when that is in proper perspective, in proper order, then it ain't no amount of dollars that in real dollars that God can't trust you with. Because you will never put, when you understand that joy is worth a million dollars, you'll never put a million dollars in front of joy. Come on. So if you hear the spirit of the Lord right now, and you hear him just saying, wrapping his loving arms around you and telling you, yes, you are my child and you are you are saved. This ain't about your salvation. But you know that he's calling you to a place beyond where you've been living at. Then we need to be able to pray today.